invite you to grab some sermon notes. Um, there's the, the text for our reading today and some notes on the front and the back side along with the connection group study. Um, they're all right there for you to follow along. We're starting a new series, and to be honest, I kind of regret starting with this chapter because it's a hard one. Um, you normally like, like kind of ease your way into a series where you're like, let's, let's get the big picture of where we're going. And in Jeremiah chapter 27, he just gets after it. Um, and I, it's, in a, it's a good one. It's a hard one, though. So I ask you to pray for me that I can speak truth and love, um, but also bring you to Jesus at the end and not just beat you. Um, and if I beat you, I'll beat you properly so, but also comfort you and draw you to, drive you to Jesus this morning. Jeremiah, the, the back half of Jeremiah is it's hard because it's for exiles. It's for the people of God who have been taken from their homeland and put into another place. It, it's, it's for people who are longing to get back home. It's for people who are called to, today it's surrender, to live at peace with people, that's next week. Right? It, it's, it's a hard thing, but also the last half of Jeremiah I hope you can start to sense this as we make our way through it. There's a rising hope. There's a rising hope as God speak to us, speaks to us about the return. There's a rising hope as God speaks to us about living by faith, about how his word cannot be shredded, but how his word endures forever, uh, about how, <laughs> this, is the, this is the final sermon in the series, the future, it belongs to the exiles. So it's good to be an exile. So I ask you to pray for me today as we, as we begin this series and as we listen to God's word. It's Jeremiah chapter 27. And intentionally so, I'll, I'll, I'll try to direct you to the screen too because this is a picture sermon. So let the pictures tell, be part of the sermon. I'll try not to let it be distracting, but let the pictures, let the image be part of the sermon. Jeremiah wanted it, God wanted it that way with Jeremiah. And so hopefully we can practice that this morning. Jeremiah 27. Early in the reign of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it on your neck. Then send word to the kings of Eden, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon through their envoy, through the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them a message for their masters and say, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Tell this to your masters. With my, this is God speaking, with my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I give it to anyone I please. Now, I will give all your countries into the hands of my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until, notice it's temporary, until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. If, however, any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or, bo or bow its neck under his yoke, I will punish that nation with the sword, famine and plague, declares the Lord, until I destroy it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters of dreams, your mediums or your sorcerers who tell you, you will not serve the king of Babylon. They will prophesy lies to you that will only serve to remove you far from your lands. I will banish you and you will perish. 
But if any nation will bow its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let that nation remain in its own land to till it and to live there, declares the Lord. I gave the same message to Zedekiah, king of Judah. I said, bow your neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, serve him and his people, and you will live. Why will you and your people die by the sword, famine, and plague with which the Lord has threatened any nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Do not listen to the words of the prophets who say to you, you will not serve the king of Babylon, for they are prophesying lies to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They are prophesying lies in my name. Therefore I will banish you and you will perish, both you and the prophets who prophesied to you. This is the word of our God. Amen. Hey, we got it. I didn't even put it on the screen. That's great. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, your word is good. It's true. It's sometimes hard and it sometimes pricks us and pokes us and makes us uncomfortable. Uh, so are these words today. They make us uncomfortable. They make us chafe a little bit to hear these words and to think about what they might mean. Uh, so Lord, I pray that you would make my words true and faithful to you. Um, make the words of my mouth and the hearing, the meditation of our hearts. Uh, let it be pleasing in your sight, God. Let your word do its work in us that you intend it to do uh, so that these words, everything we say and hear might be pleasing in your sight, Lord God. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A farmer, he gets up. I can picture this because my grandpa was a farmer. He gets up before the sun does. It's still sleeping. And he kind of rolls up. You know, how, you know how you do when you're tired? You kind of roll up on the side of your bed. And you just kind of slump there for a minute. And you sit there, sit up on the side of your bed and you wipe the cobs. That's what he did. He wiped the cobwebs out of his eyes because it was time for his day to begin. He grabbed his pants, which he had laid out the day before, and he put them on one leg at a time just like the rest of us do. His boots were by the front door because, you know, farmers, they can't bring their boots into the bedroom. That would just be, we don't need them newer in there. But he got on his pants and his shirt, he got everything ready, and he went to the kitchen for a quick glass of water and a quick bowl of cereal because he had to get after it. He had a lot of work to do, and the day before him was long. He ate quickly. He would have a bigger lunch and an even bigger dinner after the day was done. He went to the front door, and he sat down there where his boots were, and he tied them on, and he headed out to the barn. As he walked into the barn, he first reached over. The first thing he did is he reached for the, the yoke something that his grandfather had given to him. It was a crossbar with two little loops underneath it to hitch up horses and oxen for work. He grabbed the yoke, and then he called. Guys, you can throw up the first picture. He, he grabbed the yoke, and he called his oxen over. He, I can almost I can hear my grandpa, here, kind of like you call a dog. He called him over, and the oxen came, and he yoked them. He tightened his straps. He, he got them yoked right where he wanted them to be, and then he yoked them up to his plow. That's what a yoke is meant to do. You, you connect a yoke to some sort of implement. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a mower. Maybe it's a plow. Maybe it's just a wagon. But you'd yoke, you'd tie, connect the oxen, and he sat at the reins. So, so after tightening and checking all the connections and making sure everything was just where it needed to be, they, they headed out to the first field. And in his mind's eye, the farmer could see the field. It was a field that was ready to be plowed. 
And in his mind, he, he didn't have GPS like we do today, where you could just set your tractor and it would go. He could imagine the straight rows. And he knew that if he and the oxen just worked steady, back and forth, back and forth, they could maybe be done with the field by noon, by lunchtime, for a little bit of break, a little bit of respite. But as they began down that first row, he, the farmer knew that it was already going to be a problem because one of the oxen was a little bit feisty that morning and didn't want to quite get under, under the yoke. You can throw up the picture of the oxen, guys. And so they headed down that row, and the one oxen, one was under the yoke and just pulling straight. The other one was pulling sideways and stopping and halting and jerking. So, so the nice little row that the farmer imagined was more like a zipper, more like a zigzag. But this is what the farmer knew. The, the oxen were yoked together, and they were yoked under him. And even if these oxen didn't want to obey him, even if they didn't want to surrender to the yoke that was on his neck, the farmer was going to have his way with those oxen. It would be better for them if they submitted. He wouldn't have to pull so hard on the reins. He wouldn't have to whip so hard with the whip. He would have his way with them and he would do his work because he was their Lord, little L. And they were his oxen. He would accomplish what he desired through them. You can throw up the first fill-in. They were yoked together, but they were yoked under him. In this little metaphor, this picture I'm painting for you, Nebuchadnezzar is the farmer. He's the king of Babylon at this time. You can throw up the picture. He, he is the most powerful king of the land, of the, of the world at this time. And he has taken captive Edom and Moab and Ammon and Tyre and Sidon and Israel. Israel had already been, by this time in history, Israel's walls had been knocked down. Some of the articles from their temple had been taken to Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are already there. Babylon is already in power, and Nebuchadnezzar is a hard master. And nobody likes him. Nobody liked him, and he was unjust and wicked too, to top it off. He wasn't just mean. He was unjust and ungodly. And nobody liked him. And so here they were, all these envoys, these ambassadors to the king, they were gathered there in Babylon, and they were trying to think Edom, Ammon, Moab, Tyre, and Sidon, Israel, they're all having this meeting of the minds to think about how can we overthrow Babylon? And as they met in this secret little caucus, as they met there, in, through came, in came Jeremiah with a yoke on his neck. Strange little picture, isn't it? Jeremiah bursting through the doors, an uninvited guest, coming in with a single yoke on his neck. He's wearing one. The other side is open as if to say to the nations by a picture, there's room for you here too. And that's what his message was. His message was there's room for you here too. In fact, God said to them, this is what Jeremiah said from the Lord. Tell this to your master. So the ambassadors are supposed to go back home. 
With my, this is God speaking, with my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are in it, and I give it to anyone I please. Now I will give all your countries into the hands of my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. Jeremiah told him three things. One, God is the creator. The one who speaks to you, the one who gives these commands, he is the one who created all things. He is the one who brought all things into being. Kings, kingdoms, people, animals, all things are his, all things are under him, and he's in control. Number two, he's in control. He gives them to anyone he pleases, and what pleased God in this moment? What pleased God at that time? I'm going to give it to, ba- I'm going to give it to Babylon. I'm going to give it to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar will be over Israel and Edom and Moab and Ammon and Tyre and Sidon, over all of the region, even all the wild animals are going to be under Nebuchadnezzar. And so what did God say? You have a choice. You could submit to Babylon. You could submit to Nebuchadnezzar. You can surrender to him. Or you can die. Whew, told you it was hard. And then God went to Zedekiah. Same message, except this time the message has a little bit more, I would call it, heart. Not that God is heartless to the nations, but you can see that God has a special relationship with his people because he comes to Zedekiah with essentially the same message except with this added plea. Why will you die, house of Israel? It is not God's desire that Israel would die and perish. It is that God's intense desire was that they would have hope and a future with him in eternity. And so God pleaded with Zedekiah and God pleaded with his people, just as God pleads with you today, why will you die? Hear my voice and live. Repent and live. That's his word. But Zedekiah didn't. And he came to a terrible end. When Jerusalem was surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar, this is the brief little history I'll give you. The city was surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar and Zedekiah tried to run. Didn't work. He didn't get very far. Nebuchadnezzar and his troops caught him. His sons were killed in front of him and then his eyes were put out. So the last thing he saw was his son's death. See, God wants his people to understand Surrender to Babylon is surrender to me. Rebellion against Babylon, you can throw that up there, guys, is rebellion against me. Why will you die, house of Israel? Submit yourself to me. Climb under the yoke, Israel. I I think I speak for all of us when I say this. And I, I really wrestled not to change metaphors here. I want to be a free-range oxen. And it actually is a thing, just in case you think I changed it from chicken to oxen. I want to be a free-range oxen. I want to live without yokes. I want to live without fences. I want to eat when I want to eat. I want to eat what I want to eat, where I want to eat. I want to do in my home what I want to do in my home. And I, I, I want to do what I want to do. I mean, within the bounds of God's will and God's law, that's understood for us. 
but I want to be free to live without anybody else telling me what to do. And we chafe under anybody who wants to tell us what to do. We meet immediately in this sermon, we think about governments. Chafe under some of the laws, at least, that are given. The immoral ones, but sometimes the moral ones that are, that are neither here nor there. We chafe. We chafe under church leadership. The hierarchy, we call it the politics of the church. Chafe under it. Maybe even under me, Pastor Krieger. We chafe under our parents. We chafe under our teachers. One of, the, one of the questions that almost always comes up in catechism is, I want the teachers to respect me. And I say, listen, guys, it is the teacher's job to love you, not to respect you. Or I'm frank with them. It is your job to respect them. We chafe. We don't like it. When somebody's over us, when the work is over our head, we, 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 we just we chafe under it and listen. There will always be somebody who will tell you that you can rebel. Turn the page to Jeremiah 28, and there's a guy whose name is Hananiah, different than the Hananiah from the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, he got a new name, Hananiah. Not that Hananiah. Another Hananiah burst into the room and he, and he took the yoke from Jeremiah's neck and he did this. Wah! That's not going to happen. Not going to happen, he said. Israel's going to come back in just a couple of years. It's going to be fine. There will always be a Hananiah. There will always be somebody who can say, you know, you don't really have to listen to the man. You don't really have to do what they're telling you to do. You don't really have to submit. You don't really have to obey. There will always be somebody who says that's not the way it should be. You don't have to surrender. There will always be somebody. Look hard enough and there will be somebody who agrees with you. And then you can fight the man together. Jeremiah is calling us. He's in, this one, he's in a single yoke with another one next to him, and he's saying, climb under the yoke with me. Submit yourselves to whoever or whatever is over you. Because when you submit to them, you submit to God. Jeremiah, I tried to figure out how I can make a picture of this, but just imagine in your mind's eye. Jeremiah wants to think of ourselves in the yoke, looking back not at whoever or whatever is at the reins, but at the God who's behind the reins, the God who's behind whoever it is or whatever it is that's over us. He wants us to seek God. Climb under the yoke with me, people of God. But how? How? When we chafe under whoever or whatever is over us, how? The simple answer is, you have to die. You have to die. You have to die to what you want, to your will. You have to die to what you think. You have to die to what you feel. You have to constantly, this is baptismal language, 
Crucify your sinful nature that wants to rebel against that which God has placed over you. You have to die in baptism every day. Ezekiel, another prophet at the same time, this is what Ezekiel says to the people of Israel, same people of Israel, same time frame. He says, same thing I'm saying, different words, repent. Turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die? There it is again, this pleading. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. It begins with death and repentance. And it begins, then it continues with resurrection and new life. See, what does baptism mean for us? It means that every day uh, the, our old Adam in us is drowned by daily sorrow and repentance. It's killed to death daily. And then by baptism's power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a new person arises to live before God, to live under God. And who is it that we live under? We live under the creator of all things. The one who made kings and kingdoms and citizens and animals and the one who rules over this whole thing, we live under him who is our good and gracious father in heaven who has made us his own, not because we've earned or deserved it, but because he's good and gracious and merciful, who's taken stubborn mules. Now I switched metaphors. He's taken stubborn mules and made them children of his whom he dearly loves. We, we live under him. We live under a king. We live under a king who gave up his throne. You, you want to talk about submission and surrender to injustice and ungodliness? Talk about Jesus who, who left the highest place, higher than all the angels, who even created the angels, and he became flesh like us just without the sin, who submitted himself to wicked people and never said a mumbling word, who let them accuse him of falsehoods and never said a mumbling word, who put himself under the yoke of the cross to make us his own, Submitting to death. Throw the picture up, guys. He put himself under the yoke of the cross, the deadly one. And it had to be deadly. He had to submit himself to death to save us from death. He had to suffer that which we deserved, and he did. Your Savior Jesus suffered the death you deserved so that you wouldn't. So, so his yoke gives us life. His submission to the cross gives us life. That's what you have because of his death. Throw it up there, guys. It gives you life. You have life now with God, eternal life from God as a free gift because of his death. Your yoke-bearing does not earn you anything. 
No, notice in the picture, uh, this, is, this picture, I think, I'm, the more I look at it, the more I enjoy it. Because who's carrying the weight of the cross? Who's carrying the weight of the yoke? It's Jesus. Yes, we're still under it. But who bears the weight? It's Jesus. He bore it all the way to death so that you might have life. And so now what does that mean for our lives? It means that we live under him. As we say in the catechism, we live under him in his kingdom. We live under him in his word. We live under him in the people whom he has placed over us. We live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness and purity forever. See, our, our surrender is our way to live. Every part of our life, understand this, every part of our life is submission to everybody else. In the Christian church, the hierarchy means little because we're all, I mean, it means something, but it also means nothing because we are all servants to each other. Me submitting to you and you submitting to me, it gets a little confusing when you try to figure out who's actually in charge. Because that's who we are. We put ourselves under everybody else to serve them. That's the way we live. So, dear people of God, hear Jeremiah today and, and climb under the yoke with him. There's a yoke here. You can imagine it, maybe. Climb under the yoke with him and, and lean into it because it's easy and light because our Savior Jesus has made it so. Amen? Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. Amen.